Hey, I'm Sam. And I'm Lizzie. And we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual. I'm here with all my evil exes. (laughs) Could you imagine? Oh my gosh, I'm so pumped. This is like, I didn't realize how much I fucking love this movie. You forgot? It all comes back to me once I watch it again. This movie is like so fucking iconic. It's better and better every time I see it. Yeah. Before we jump into the film, though, we want to give a huge thank you to our patrons. This episode actually was chosen by our highest level Patreon tier. Uh, If you are at the gayest level, you get to vote on our Made Feed episodes. And you guys pick Scott Pilgrim, which I couldn't be more happy about. We are also running a special that if you subscribe to that tier, you get a free hat. And the hats look pretty good, if you ask me. Yeah, Sam's wearing one right now. They're classy, sassy, and Timeless. Timeless. Mm -hmm. The Met Gala would approve. Yes, this is everything. So please uh, check out our Patreon. Uh, But if you can't, totally get that. Oh my God, we have someone in the studio with us today. Oh my God, we do. Oh my God. Is someone haunting the studio? It's a threat. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. It's Corey. Hello, I'm Corey. And it'd be the Met Gala. Gala. See? All right, I'm leaving. That's it. (laughs) He's going to talk us out of a job. Do you, Corey? You know, you actually inspired us to think about having a podcast. You realize that, right? I died so y'all could live. Yes. The first (laughs) podcast I was ever on was Corey's. No. Yeah. Do you learn what we learned how to do? I don't remember. Yeah, Corey had a podcast called the WikiHow Haha ha Show. It was the first time I was ever on a microphone being recorded, and that show was <laughs> hilarious. Do you want to talk about the premise? Um, so this was before WikiHow exploded into what's now a cultural phenomenon, I assume, uh, where me and a guest or guests would go through a page and learn how to do something, and then we'd kind of be silly while we did it. So... I remember my first ever episode was with probably friend of the show, Matt Martinez. Yes. Um, We learned how to clean blood out of sheets. (laughs) You know, I could do a lot with that knowledge. I never knew WikiHow could be such a ridiculous place. And now, like you're saying, it has so much meme potential and, you know, people take it for granted. But back in the day, you had a podcast way before I think I knew anyone that had a podcast. What year was that? That was 2000 and do, 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 do. it went for five and a half years. I stopped in 2015, so 2010. Damn. Shit. You're like Kate from John Tucker Must Die. Die. You're into obscure a- podcasts. <laughs> he is an obscure podcast. Uh, Corey. Anyway, Corey, I was, for, I was not big. You know, we were huge fans. Oh, you guys. You want to talk about how we know each other? I did very briefly appear in an episode Oh, yeah. Um, Which this one has a connection to, but we'll get to that. Yes. Yeah, I was doing improv at UNO, and the people I had were terrible, so I needed new, better people. (laughs) And that's where you two came in. Yes. Oh, that's so sweet to think that we were any good. We put a lot of gusto into it, which is exactly what we do with this podcast as well. Just put a lot of gusto into it. Get your friends involved, and you're probably going to have a good time. Yes, absolutely. And you were huge. You were so helpful as a coach. And we kind of hope that you're going to coach us through this episode, because for the first time in subtextual history, we have a guest host. I'm not qualified for that. (laughs) Well, Corey has heard all of our episodes, and he listens to them very intensely. Sometimes he'll let us know if we do the math wrong in our scores. So he might actually know the format better than we do. I probably do. The first thing we're going to have to talk about is how we feel about the film, if I'm remembering correct. Is that <laughs> Does that sound right? That's exactly right. <laughs> wow, we're so predictable. 
It's just good structure, you know? Okay, so how do we feel? Lizzie, how do you feel? How? God. Okay, I say I watch movies a lot as a kid, but I would think that Scott Pilgrim is probably the movie I've watched the most as an adult, like someone over the age of 18, I guess. I've seen this movie so many fucking times. I love it. Actually, I love it so much, I named my pug after Ramona Flowers. And she is sassier and, like, I'm actually afraid of your pug more than I would be of the regular <laughs> Ramona Flowers. She puts the manic in Manic Pixie Dream Girl, for sure. <laughs> That's very well said. So, yeah, I love this movie. How do you feel about it, Sam? I love this movie. I've seen it a shit ton. I think I know every single word. It's, like, up there with Clueless and Zoolander for me. I fucking love this movie. Corey? Oh, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I'm a huge fan. This is oddly my third favorite film. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Oh my gosh. Okay, what are the other two? You can't leave us hanging. Well, number two is, of course, the Lego movie. Oh, love that movie. And possibly the Lego movie, too. They go back and forth. It depends when I watch them. But number one, not even close, My Cousin Vinny, <gasps> which if you're looking for a future episode, you can't go wrong with Marissa Tomei and My Cousin Vinny. I have never Marissa seen the Tome- film. Is she gay in it? I mean, she's an icon. I don't know if she's gay. I'll find it if it's there. I think you should do that film. That film is hilarious. I've been watching it since I was a child. It's the funniest movie I've ever seen. (laughs) Gosh, high praise. But this one's good, too. Um, Yeah, I would say when people talk about... It's funny that we're recording this around the time that The Last of Us is uh, playing on HBO because everybody's freaking out about it being a video game adaptation that's good. And this isn't based on a video game. Granted, they made a video game after but this feels like what a video game movie should be yeah it's considered like a video game film like you're saying which is funny because it's not a video game and I think I don't know if I was talking to Lee about this the last of us about how it's people are saying oh we've got to make more of these adaptations and no you don't no you don't (laughs) but the Mario movie just came out or oh it's about to yeah you're a Mario fan are you looking forward to Mario movie not at all (laughs) it's it's gonna be nice to look at but I can't imagine it's going to be enjoyable. I think children are going to like it. And, you know, hey, good for them. (laughs) Children are dumb. Hey, Lee, what do you think about Scott Pilgrim? Love this movie so much. Yeah, it's just like just the thing I always remember about it is it's like constant forward motion, the energy behind it. Yeah, it's just got a great energy to it. Yeah, so we're talking about Scott Pilgrim today. Because Wallace is an incredible character. I would say Wallace is the best character. But also, Ramona's a bicon. Yes. And she's like put down in that very bisexual way that we're very used to. But Mm -hmm. a bicon nonetheless. Yeah, we see her say it was a phase, Mm -hmm. which isn't great. But as a teenager, I was like, this is more representation than I'm used to. (laughs) We'll take it. Yes, exactly. So we'll be talking a lot about Wallace today. We'll be talking about a lot. Of Ramona today. Um, but yeah, this film has like an insane amount of trivia. The production's really interesting. So we've got a lot to talk about. This was one of those films like my producer brain is going the whole time because every scene is like a hundred shots and there's like shots within shots and like a million close-ups. Like how did, how did he wrap his mind around this film and like get everything across so well? This is like one of those films where like everything really just came together Maybe it was kismet. Maybe Edgar Wright is just like a genius, but like everything lined up perfectly. Yeah, this is like probably the most perfect movie I think I've ever seen. Yeah, I don't agree with that. Well, 
I don't know if we want to cover it now or at the end. I have one problem with the movie. Ooh, hit it. And it's it's not like it makes the movie bad, but the movie is very, very white. Oh, Um, that's true. They say some stuff about knives that... And I did some research. I was like, well, why is it so white? Mm -hmm. And there's not a great reason, but the writer of the graphic novel, Brian Lee O'Malley agrees with me. He is half white, half Korean, and he was very upset Mm. that there was just white people for days. And the only characters that are people of color, they're explicitly written as people of color, like Matthew Patel and Knives Chow. So it felt like they were only ticking that box when they absolutely had to. Absolutely. And all of Edgar Wright's movies are exactly like that. They're all very white. Yes. And while I really appreciate Edgar Wright's films as being like technically very well accomplished. He has this, you know, the whiteness of it all, as well as none of his female characters have any depth or complexity. And the only reason that these female characters feel like standout individuals is because of the source material that it's come, like it comes from, that he really didn't deviate much uh, in that case. So those are my little issues with it now that I, you know, I'm looking back. And I've never read the source material, the comic books that it's based on, but isn't the Knives Chow character more of like a central hero of sorts in those books? Yeah, I think she's like on par with Scott as I think they follow her a lot more in the graphic novels than they do. And she's like the most equipped person as it comes into like martial arts and fighting and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, she probably took the biggest hit adapting it, but I guess seven books... You got to cut somewhere. I don't know. They're like, let's cut the one woman of color. Let's, let's cut, cut the, her part. The badass woman of color. Let's just, uh, let's make her like a weird ex-girlfriend. Well, her name is Knives. They cut. Hey. <laughs> like, well, we got to cut with Knives. <laughs> Edgar Wright's stealing that. He's like, well, her name was Knives. I had to That's cut her. That's what I had to do. <laughs> Wait, is Wallace in the graphic novel? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. All of these characters Wallace. are. And to be fair, once you get past like everybody's white, they cast it very well mm-hmm. using mm-hmm. white people. I think everybody's perfect for what they do. So I originally planned on us going like beat for beat, scene for scene. Yes. There's just so much. Tons. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to kind of like move forward. And at any point you want to stop the train, you just kind of pull the rope. That's how trains work. Yeah. But if I know the format of the show, this is the part where I read the synopsis from Hit it, IMDb. Corey. He has been studying. Wow. I prepared for this my entire life. Um, and I actually don't like the IMDb synopsis. Uh, we rarely do. They're almost always terrible. Jeff Bezos wrote it. <laughs> it's crazy that he does that. But. In a magically realistic version of Toronto, a young man must defeat his new girlfriend's seven evil exes one by one in order to win her heart. They don't fight one by one. Mm-mm. They very explicitly fight two at a time at one point. Mm-hmm. But whatever. I Jeff think, Bezos did not watch the film. I think there's only one fight, right, that Scott actually completes by himself. Well, the first one? The first one. You could argue the second one he, like, tricks. Uh, but then he kind of, like, He self-destructs. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we'll get – I don't want to jump there. We'll gun. get there. We'll get there. <laughs> um, so the first 30 minutes of the movie is its own little thing. And I only noticed this after, like, many viewings. But if you just watch the first 30 minutes of the movie, it's just a very stylish romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Mm. You've got your main character, Scott. He's dating Knives. He meets a girl, Ramona, and falls in love. But he doesn't break up with Knives, so you're setting up a love triangle. And it really isn't until, like, 
Matthew Patel crashes through a roof that like, oh, this is not that. Mm -hmm. But I'm getting ahead of myself, ladies. We have to talk about our main characters and sex bob Yes. We are sex bob <laughs> Now, I <The> guess... Sex bobs. <laughs> I guess I should ask, how familiar are y'all with the video games in general? I'm, I think I'm more of a layman. I play a lot of video games, but I, it's not, you know, my whole personality, I wouldn't say. Oh, gosh, it's a big question. Tetris, <laughs> Mario 64. I haven't played video games since, like, Nintendo 64 in grade school. They haven't updated it. I think I actually, I take, I play a lot of video games. I this was bitch to plays sound. a lot of video games. I was just waiting for her to say it. <laughs> I was like, I, you know, I'm average and you looked at me all fucked up. I play a lot of video games. I was wondering what this movie would be like to someone who doesn't get all the video gamey stuff of it. Because every single sound is a reference. Yeah. And every single name is a reference. Like all of the bands, Crash and the Boys and The Clash of Demon Head, those are both like, aren't those games Right. Those, those are old video games, but yeah. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Now that I didn't know. I do like the kind of retro-ness. Like this film is really securely seated in, I guess, the late 90s. And so like even a noob like me who only played Mario 64 like 30 years ago, still kind of, I can feel the vibe of it. And I like all the noises. Yeah, you make a good point. Is this, is this supposed to be like 2000 early -ish? They keep it vague. Mm -hmm. um, it's... Late enough that there are cell phones. And Amazon exists. And Amazon exists. Amazon.ca. But it's early enough that pay phones still exist. <clears throat> so they keep it kind of, I mean, it is a, as IMDb says, a magically realistic version of Toronto. <laughs> it um, is just a regular version of Toronto. Just magic things happen. I yeah, say. I wouldn't say that Toronto like came to life <laughs> in this one, but. <laughs> so yeah, I would have said mid 2000s, maybe. Yeah. That feels about right. Because yeah. I think somebody has like a really weird looking Blackberry. Yeah. And like the fashion too, like the mini skirt over the black tights and Oof. like the little skinny Choker. striped uh, scarf. And we like we glaze over Scott Pilgrim dating a high schooler pretty quickly. I love that Kim is like, you're the scum of the earth. She's 22 and she is 17. That's fucking weird. Well, we our protagonist is painted like a fucking loser up until like the last 15 minutes of the film. So I think we're supposed to think he's a little lame. Scott Pilgrim is a total like, I'm going to emotionally dump on all the women I'm dating and they're going to do all these services for me. Like, she pays for all of their video games. She's 17. Oh, my God. And he's such a mooch. I mean, he lives in the bed with Wallace. Oh, yeah. God, I fucking love Wallace. Roman Wallace. Roy from uh, Roy. Succession. Do you watch Succession? I watched the first season of Succession and just for the Wallace character. <laughs> Kieran Culkin does a great yes. job. Oh, genius. Yeah, this cast... Mm. Maybe the best cast of a movie I've ever seen. Aubrey Plaza, just casual. Everyone's so casually in this fucking movie. I, I think I read something where Edgar Wright originally didn't have that long-ass intro. Mm. And I think he showed the movie to Quentin Tarantino, right? And Tarantino was like, there's too many celebrities in this. Like, you have to let people know that those people are going to be here. Because if they see the first 30 minutes and it's everyone they've ever seen in movies, they're going to start freaking out. Yeah, it's, the opening credits are a gag. You're like, <gasps> wait, what's the uh, actress, the sister again? Anna Kendrick. Anna Kendrick. She's so funny. You know, she started dating Edgar Wright after that. <gasps> and she later commented that he was kind of a weirdo. <laughs> no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> well, she made, I saw an interview with her recently talking about how difficult it was on the set in particular because he wouldn't let any of them blink. I'm sorry, what? 
Kubrick with his like 55 takes. <laughs> Edward Wright's like, sorry, we have to go again. Fucking Aubrey blinked. <laughs> what do you mean? Why? Uh, he said it was uh, to make them appear more like comic book characters oh. who you often never see blink. Oh, God, I live for that. So I think she, Anna Kendrick said she was like, get, she got dizzy or almost even fainted because she was just like <laughs> affixed like a mannequin for a really long period of time. Um, I was just thinking like uh, also like the way Edgar Wright uses like very hard edit cuts, like trying to cut on a blink is can can be weird as well. So that's so str- <laughs> it's hilarious though that they're like. It's almost like he's making an animation or something, but he's like using real people. Yeah, the amount of visine, I'm sure that was on that <laughs> set. <laughs> yeah, and like chapstick. It's fucking the cold, cold north. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Corey. Well, this is as good a time as any to bring up. Um, I have the Blu-ray of this movie, and for some reason I've never watched the commentary tracks of this, even though I'm a big commentary track fan. And while researching this, there were four commentary tracks. Four. And I was like, which one will I learn the most from? (laughs) So there was uh, one with the director and the co-writer. I was like, oh, I'll probably learn like story stuff. Yeah. I didn't choose that. (laughs) There was one with the director and the director of photography. And I was like, oh, man, there's so many crazy shots. I didn't watch that. (laughs) Uh, There was one with the main cast. So like Michael Sarah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, et cetera. Probably good. No, I went straight to number <laughs> four. It. Number four was Aubrey Plaza, Anna Kendrick, Kieran Culkin, and Mark Weber, who plays uh, Stephen, the lead guitar of the band. Oh okay. my god! Dream blood rotation. Dream, yes, like this that seventies show, <laughs> flip around camera. I would do anything to hang out with that group of people. It's funny that you say, they probably recorded that commentary as an afterthought. Like, oh, we've got these four people; they'll do one, and it's the only one you listen to. They, um, yeah, they address. Apparently, it was recorded the day after the premiere, mm. so they're kind of hungover. Oh, you can my tell god. about five minutes in; they're just so high. <laughs> You can hear like. (laughs) I remember this scene. I was really cold. Yeah. Yeah. Super cold. It's strange that those four are rarely in a scene together. There's a lot of scenes where it's just like one of them. Mm -hmm. And so every time without fail, if it was just one of them, the others would be like, man, it must have been so cold. And they would say like, no, that was in a set. And they're like, no, it had to be outside. But then the <laughs> next scene, a different person would be out in the snow and they're like, that must have been cold. And she was like, no, that was on a set. So I don't know <laughs> no how much way. they actually did outside because they just kept being shocked that they were just on sets. No real snow in this actual Canadian the movie? The snow was white felt and they digitally oh. put those footsteps on. How much money would that have cost? I guess, is it cheaper to fake the snow or to... What's the option? Wait for it to snow? I would say cheaper to fake the snow because it's also consistent and no one's like getting fucking frostbite. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And Mary Elizabeth Winstead's in mini skirts. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Can we talk about Mary Elizabeth Winstead? I love her. I was so obsessed with her. It wasn't this role that did it for me, although I really enjoy her thoroughly in this. My favorite role that she's ever, ever played was Gwen in Sky High. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, gee. You just, like, sucked me back into the past. Did you ever see Sky High, Corey? I feel like we watched that together. I think so. Kurt Russell, mm-hmm. superheroes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. She's great. I think she's 
meant to play someone with superpowers. It suits her very well. Yeah, she's in Birds of Prey. Oh, yeah, she plays Huntress in Birds of Prey. And then she's in that new Netflix movie, Kate, where she doesn't have superpowers, but she's just, like, overall a badass. And I heard that she was, like, incredibly impressive with the fighting choreo on set for this film. She really lays into it. Like, she follows through. I mean, honestly, I was impressed by all the fight choreo in this movie. And I love movies with fight choreo, and this is some of the best. Also, second favorite celebrity couple, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead is married to Ewan McGregor. I remember when I got that call. You called me, like, haphazardly in the middle of the day, like, Ewan McGregor's I was in the middle of South Dakota when I found this out. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast with uh, fucking Ewan McGregor. Do you know why it's crazy that you were in South Dakota when you found that out? Is she from South Dakota? Well, no. Do you know how they met? Their love of South Dakota? They were both married to other people. Um. But then in season three of Fargo, excellent, you should watch it. They play a married couple and they had an affair and then ended up divorcing their partners and oh. marrying each other. Hey. Hey. We're not passing judgment. Like, I don't blame either of them. Ewan's a catch. Mary Elizabeth Weinstead is a catch. South Dakota's for lovers. <laughs> the uh, South Dakota's for cheaters. <laughs> the romantic scape of South Dakota. <laughs> anyway, she is the perfect cast person for this, I believe. It's crazy that they got them all at the same time. And they kind of got them in a point in their career where they hadn't hit their peak yet. The cusp. Yeah. Who do you think was the biggest actor in this film at the time? Jason Schwartzman, maybe? Mm. Wow. The Coppola. The Coppola. It would either be him or probably Michael Cera, because this is post-Arrested Development. Mm. Oh, yeah, it probably was him. Before we move on from this opening scene, we do have to talk about my favorite character. (gasps) Wallace is right up there. But young Neil. Ah, young Neil. Far and away. Now, I don't know how many times you've watched the movie, but just paid attention to young Neil. (laughs) But almost every scene, if he's in the frame, he's doing something weird. (laughs) Like there's one scene where they're playing and he's like moving the pedal volume up and down. I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? (laughs) Did they allow a lot of improv on set, you think, for shit like that? Or was it all planned out? It seems like it was all planned out. But wow. everything I'm talking about with him, like the the twisting paddle one, like he's the focus. When he's out of frame, like that's when he's doing weird shit. Like I'm going to jump to the end real quick um, for anyone who's watching in real time. Get ready for it. <laughs> Prepare at, yourself. <laughs> at the end of the movie, without spoiling much, our villain swallows some gum. I don't know if you remember that mm-hmm. line. It's just yeah. the throwaway line of like, you made him swallow his gum. And then when he dies, as with all the other villains, he bursts into coins. And you can see young Neil in the background pick up the gum that was stuck in his throat and then put it in his mouth and start chewing it. What? I and that's never just like caught that. out on the right. But that's the sort of thing he's just doing the whole movie. <laughs> wow. Ooh, coins. He, I think, says the least and has some of the most iconic lines. <laughs> like something I find myself saying, even though it relates to nothing, is – he punched the highlights out of her hair. Out of her hair. <laughs> so at the 30-minute mark, mm. we meet the structure of the film, which, as described by the writer, is a musical, except the musical numbers are fights. <gasps> That's actually amazing. I love that. He wanted to, like, mimic the idea that if you watch, like, a musical, they have this big number and then, like, everyone around them should freak out and mm-hmm. be like, what just happened? But they just kind of return to normal life. So the idea is there's this fight to the death, and then everybody's just like, oh, I guess, I guess that's it. 
That is very true of musicals. Like once the first song happens, all of the central characters are just okay with breaking into song and dance and no one ever questions it. And everyone's really good at singing and dancing, and in this case, really good at fighting. Yes. I love that they never call into question any of the characters' ability to fight like this. Yeah. And so we meet fight number one. Matthew Patel. Started by Wallace's amazing line, it's that one guy. It's that one guy. Oh, yeah. And this is the scene where the Toronto International Battle of the Bands, sex bob are going against Crash and the boys. And Wallace does the incredible line, is that girl a boy too? And Crash says, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he's hitting on uh, Stacy's boyfriend at the time. Uh, Wallace is an icon. He just icon. sets his sights on this guy. Uh, and he's really cute too. He kind of looks like uh, Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, exactly. No, Wallace always gets what he wants, and he always speaks the truth. Yes. Run. You're too good for him. (laughs) too good for him. (laughs) Do you want to know who in my class is gay? (laughs) Yes. Does he wear glasses? (laughs) So Matthew Patel has superpowers. He can shoot fireballs. He has demon hipster chicks. How do we feel about the demon hipster chicks? Tell him, Maddie. Like, that shit's fire. Did they freak you out? No, I looked her up because I was like, what has she done? This is her only crap. Like, I don't know what that girl's doing now. See, that's my goal. You know, one have, and done. have like a really weird, iconic thing in a movie and then just never be seen again. Do like full frontal and yes. then just disappear. Like that girl in Mean Girls. It's like, it's all rainbows and butterflies. And she doesn't even go here. Like, <laughs> I've, I've never seen her in anything else. And rightly so. Like, she had one purpose and she served. Yeah. Those are just AIs, I think. <laughs> <laughs> just... Totally made up. Deep fakes. Deep fakes. Get him on the cheap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, his his musical sequence at first I didn't like, but it's the kind of thing that really gets stuck in your head now. I kind of wished it was a little harder for for Scott to beat him up. <laughs> but I guess being the first evil ex, you're always supposed to be the easiest one to kill. It's a great fight scene, though. Like, mm-hmm. they do hand-to-hand combat is the best type of fight scene there is for me. And I was like, damn, they're really hitting the shit out of each other. Did Michael Sarah perform his own stunts? I learned this from that useless commentary track. <laughs> he did uh, almost nice. everything you see, like they're doing, like they're playing the instruments, they're singing, they're doing the fights. Wow. To the point where it impressed, I think it was Kieran. Somebody was talking about how they were impressed that like, I mean, they didn't do it all in one take, but like they just knew the things to where like Edgar would be like, all right, we're going to run through the third sequence. And they would just like immediately know Holy shit. That's a lot, especially for Michael Sarah's character. He's fighting like minutes and minutes at a time. Yeah, like he's got seven fights and they're all like insanely intricate dances, if you can think of them in that way. And they're cut into these sequences like that. That's really fucking impressive. Yeah. Now, I will say I really like, as a fan of animated films, I like that they use the comic book style for all the flashbacks Mm -hmm. that Ramona tells. Mm -hmm. And the titling, the comic book, like, and then... (laughs) <laughs> that brings me to my first trivia question. I don't have a lot of them prepared. Corey, you have trivia? I do. The movie opens, we flew by this, but the movie opens with a very brief narration. Who is that voice? It's a well-known actor. In a faraway land of Toronto, Canada, Scott Pilgrim was dating a high schooler. Um, He was pretty big at this point, about as big as the rest of the group. And I would say that he is currently in... Dare I say, the best show on TV right now. Jennifer Coolidge. That would have been crazy. <laughs> uh, okay. 
the final season of this show is coming out soon. Oh, This Is Us? This Is Us? We're the last of them? Last of Us. We're the last Pedro ones? Pascal. Pedro Pascal. No. I don't know who that is. What? No, okay. I, I know who Pedro is. Oh, my God. Okay, I was like, he's a, Succession? He's in Narcos, right? He hasn't yes. done anything since. Succession's I don't think. on its <laughs> final season. Succession is on its final season, but I don't believe this man has shown up there. He's the star of this show. Um, have you have you watched the show Barry? <gasps> is it Bill Hader? It's Bill Hader. It's Bill Hader. Shut up, because Anna Kendrick also dated him. No. When we were thinking earlier about like the time period, I was like, this is like the same cinematic universe as Skeleton Twins, mm. just like happening on the other side of the country line <laughs> in like sad Toronto instead of like sad New York. Yeah, this is in the same world, but these people are medicated for their depression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Matthew Patel throws some fireballs at some people, gets hit with a symbol and dies, but not before I promised I would bring this up. He burns a little girl to death. Because if, if you blink, you'll miss it. But when he's throwing fireballs, one of them bounces to the side and burns the um, Crash and the Boys. Yeah. Oh, the drummer. The, dr the whole band just goes. And there's like a blood splatter on the wall, <gasps> which oh. really establishes that this is happening. Yeah, because they win, they win that round of the TIBB and then they continue forward because Crash has been obliterated. But also all of the drummers in this movie are chicks. Mm -hmm. Even like Clash of Demon Head, their drummer is also a chick. Yeah. Love that. Three for three. Edgar Wright's really helping out the women. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought that. He's like, sit way back there and say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend to drum. Mm -hmm. So then we have some boring scenes. We don't have boring scenes. We, we have a bunch of scenes where they explain what's going on. There's a nice little touch on the bus scene where all the lights in the background out of focus are heart-shaped. Mm. The and then details. on the other side, they're X-shaped. But then they start talking about love again, and then they're heart-shaped. That's sweet. And that's the first instance we get where Ramona corrects Scott. Because he, she says exes, and he says ex-boyfriends, and she says exes. And he doesn't clock it at all, which kind of paints him as he's such a fucking ding-dong. No, he's 100% a ding-dong. He doesn't listen to any of these women. He constantly throughout the film asks them to, like, repeat themselves. And she very clearly says exes, and it's just like, whew. Yeah. He gives them nothing, but he gives Ramona garlic bread at a certain point. The garlic bread scene. We're probably going to go right over that one later, but I learned so much from this film as a teenager that I did not know. There's a scene where Ramona offers him tea and he goes, there's more than one type of tea. And she, she lists like 20 teas. I only thought there was one type of tea. She starts naming things and I'm like, this is a joke. And I found out later that some of those teas do exist. And then there's a scene where she says, bread makes you fat. And he goes, bread makes you fat? I didn't know that either. That's one of those things I say in my everyday life all the time. <laughs> Bread makes you fat? <laughs> I'm just learning things along with this man. But the difference was I was 14 and he's like 23. About the teas. It's another trivia thing I have. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead memorized all of those. And the people are like, you can just read them off. Like we'll put a paper in there. And she was like, I'm going to memorize them. It's She's a professional. It's important to the method that I know 25 T's. Okay, are all of those T's real, Lizzie? Yes. The only one that I'm like, this one could definitely be fake was constant comment. There's more than one kind? We have blueberry, raspberry, ginseng, sleepy time, green tea, green tea with lemon, green tea with lemon and honey, liver disaster, ginger with honey, ginger without honey, vanilla almond, white truffle, blueberry chamomile, vanilla walnut, constant comment, and Earl Grey. Did you make some of those up? Liver disaster seems like a fake one. <laughs> <laughs> 
liver disaster. That's just alcohol. And then they have like a weird makeout scene. I don't like watching Michael Sarah kiss people. Ugh, his little lips get smaller and smaller. On that commentary track, uh, every time they kissed, Aubrey Plaza would say, gross. We don't need to see this. <laughs> Day. You know, she dated him like for two years after no. this. No. Mm-hmm. Michael Sarah? Yes. I don't believe you. You lied about something earlier. I'm, I would never lie about that. You might. I hold something sacred, and Avipasa is one of them. I had no idea how. There's one picture of them. It looks like they're in an IHOP. Oh. <laughs> There's like a group of like 14 teenagers that are very clearly trying to take a picture with Michael Sarah, and Aubrey Plaza is not famous yet. And she's just like <laughs> over here on the side of the booth. Can I show you? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. A time capsule. <laughs> she couldn't be like. Less big. It says Chuck E. Cheese. It says this photo was taken in Chuck E. Cheese. No. <laughs> no. Oh uh, did you see God. it okay? Oh, I remember when this happened. This was like... He's like, I took this photo. Early memes. So we leave the awkward makeout scene. They go up the stairs to the castle where we get maybe my favorite of the fights. Mm. It's not the best scene, but it might be my favorite. This is... They are at a film set, which I thought was a nice touch because the movie takes place in Toronto. And Edgar Wright made a point of like really wanting to like do Toronto justice because everybody shoots at Toronto, but they never set it in Toronto. Yeah. So apparently like Battle of the Bands happens enough where it's like, oh, that's a thing. And then the movie set. But we get our second universal sound drop of the movie. Uh, we see Lucas Lee with, I think, probably the worst sideburn to beard connection I've ever seen. Oof, it's rough. It's pretty rough. And that's Chris Evans, right? That is Chris Evans the same year that the first Captain America movie comes out. So this is before he really blows up with that. Yeah, he's like a, he's known as like a super person. Before that, it was like Fantastic Four, right? Uh, he was in Not Another Teen Movie. Yeah, with the Sunday on his, yeah. Like, that was more his genre. And then, like, as soon as that Captain America money hit, he never looked back. The amount of Marvel people in this movie. It's crazy. You got Captain America, Captain Marvel. I think Aubrey Plaza was in Legion. There's got to be someone else, right? Yeah. There's so many famous people. Is Birds of Prey in that universe? That's DC. Does that oh, but, yeah, but basically all of these people have played, like, superheroes super, after super this. Super universes. Yeah, yeah. Except Michael Sarah. I wonder why. It's hard to say. <laughs> the most super he'll ever be is just like an average man that <laughs> in this movie. You know what I mean? He has like super music taste in Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Oh, yeah. Sure. And like that's it. <laughs> and Lucas Lee, I think the only thing that of the whole film that I have to suspend my disbelief is that Wallace would be into Lucas Lee. <laughs> what? You think not? I, I mean, Lucas Lee is like hot, but it does not strike me as Wallace's type. He doesn't even have glasses. It's the one guy he can't get. Ah, because he implodes. Spoiler. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this fight um, does a lot of fun movie stuff. We haven't really talked much about the editing of the movie, but mm. if you've seen an Edgar Wright movie, you know... He loves his fancy editing. Yeah, the pacing. This is, I think, the best pacing of any film I've ever seen. What's the runtime of this film? An hour 51. Oh, which is a pretty long movie, and it never pauses, not for a second. No, and it feels like an hour 20, truly. It's just so fucking quick. Especially this scene, I think 
the second evil ex, Lucas Lee, almost the scene feels shorter than Matthew Patel's defeat because there's like some fighting and punching and then he very quickly like implodes himself on those steps. Well, I like how differently all the fight scenes go. Like each one is so uniquely different. Like it could have been really repetitive if they were just like, all right, well, they have to fight now. Like he doesn't physically fight every single ex for as long or in the same way. Mm-hmm. That grin on his face is like, that's hilarious. He's like, <laughs> yes. no, that's actually hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great impression, Corey. I thought it was a nice touch that he shouts action before the director yes. can. Yes. And you just see the director so defeated like, <laughs> <laughs> Would have been a great cameo ap- opportunity for Edgar Wright there. Do we know what Edgar Wright looks like? Mm-hmm. Can we describe him? He's like a British guy. He's got like brown kind of wavyish hair. He dated Anna Kendrick for oh. a little while. <laughs> oh, that's exactly what I think he would look like. Lee's showing me a picture. Yeah, he looks pretty normal. He's young. I thought he would not be young for some reason. Yeah, be super old. I just picture all directors as like... 55-year-old white men. That would have been more upsetting if he dated Anna Kendrick and he was like 58. Oh, no. yeah. That would have been like sad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so after this fight scene, doesn't Scott like look up and Ramona's not there? Yes. So Ramona has left. So we have a little more story progression. I believe we check in with Knives, who we haven't really mentioned it, but Scott has not broken up with Knives mm. when they first start dating. Mm-hmm. At this point, she has. And she does not take it very well. No, God, I fucking love this actress, Ellen Wong. Mm. Uh, says such a great job. I read that she was actually, you know, she's supposed to be 17 and Scott's like 22. I read that she's actually like three years older than Michael Sarah <laughs> oh, wow. when shooting this. And there was like a Buffy, Sarah Michelle Geller, Buffy sort of thing where they hired her because she had like an advanced belt in Taekwondo. No way. Mm-hmm. Oh, and even cool. though she only gets one real opportunity to fight, like, that final fight scene with her in it is like so fucking yeah. good. She's got those double blades and she whoops more ass than I think anyone else in this movie. I mean, even on the DDR game, she's like super badass, like yeah. flipping over his back and stuff. <laughs> After we watched that scene where she like rolls over Scott's back on the DDR machine, me and my partner tried to do it. <laughs> and... I was not able to do it with him, but he was able to do it with me. So oh, wow. I don't know what that means. There's some physics there that we've got to figure out. <laughs> well, this is where the movie, in my opinion, has its one flaw in the structure. But we briefly meet one of my favorite actresses, Mae Whitman's character. A little her? Bit, who heard? <laughs> a little bit of an Arrested Development reunion. One of seemingly her exes uh, sort of shows up in a snowy alley and is gonna fight, but <laughs> Scott's not feeling like it, so they just don't. She cashes her last rain check. Yes, yeah, Roxy does show up be- way before she's supposed to. Roxy has some of the best lines. Where's that from? My brain. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, they just sort of like set up what would be a fight, and then it's just like, not right now. Uh, and we fast forward to Sex Babam has been asked to open for clash at demon head mm-hmm. and i don't know how much we want to unpack the backstory of envy and scott basically scott used to date brie larson's character mm-hmm. now brie larson's character is the lead singer of a big band and so yeah now scott and them are gonna open for them and that brings us to our next big location Oof. i actually really love that call where he gets from envy and we we'll probably hear bill Hader again 
It was mutual. It wasn't. Like, that is so perfect because Envy Adam, like, you don't see her change. You only get, like, these pictures and these glances of her. And we're supposed to see it as some major betrayal. But she's so fucking cool. (laughs) No, she's, like, talented and deserved to go off and be a star. Oh, yeah. For sure. And he dumped knives, like, out of nowhere and broke her heart. Mm -hmm. So, like, I don't really feel like she is a villain at all. I'm like, go live your life, girl. This guy was holding you back for sure. Oh, yeah. No, completely. And when we get to the performance of The Clash of Demon Head, which I'll be showing you guys right now, um, it's actually really interesting because a lot of the music that was contributed was, like, either very consciously picked thematically, like you see the Rolling Stones, like, Under My Thumb and that sort of thing. But Mm -hmm. all the other songs that were contributed to fill other spaces were mostly, like, Canadian bands. They were using the band Metric, who are a Canadian band, to model the classic Demon Head. Like, the lead singer of Metric looks very similar to Brie Larson's character. And she also has the same bodily movement. So, like, Brie Mm -hmm. Larson studied her. So they went ahead and asked Metric to contribute a song. And Metric had already wrote Black Sheep, like, a a few years before. But it never fit on any of their albums. So they were like, sure, yeah, have this one. And then they saw what they did with the song and were amazed. Because they never put it on their albums because they thought the lyrics were really weird and didn't didn't really mean anything. And then they saw it in the context of the film and were like, this is fucking perfect. Dude, that's really cool. I just got chill bumps. That's really cool. That's my single most favorite musical number in the whole film. It's so good. Well, I'm glad you feel that way because you're about to watch it. Yay! Wait, so is that Brie Larson's voice? Because I know that bitch can sing. That is Brie Larson's voice. And funnily enough, oh my God. they didn't release the Brie Larson version, which is kind of odd because the original, like the soundtrack that was released, for instance, Beck wrote all the songs for the Sex Bob-Oms, but they're still released with the Sex Bob-Om version. Right. This one is not because it was a contribution by Metrics. So the one that was on the album originally was Metrics' original demo. And then for their anniversary album, after like a massive amount of like fans calling for this song, they released Brie Larson's version and it got to the Billboard Top 100 (laughs) 10 years later. No kidding. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's bitchin'. The song, love the song. The amount of interest and detail that they put into the musical references in the soundtrack and even in the movie in like the background is fucking insane. Mm -hmm. Like every single shirt Scott Pilgrim wears is a reference to an inspiration that Brian O'Malley used, the creator, to create Scott Pilgrim. Like Scott Pilgrim was based off of a song by Plumtree, which which is a band that released a song named Scott Pilgrim in like 1998 or something. So he wears like a Plumtree shirt and he also wears like an SP shirt that people assumed was like Scott Pilgrim, but it's like a Smashing Pumpkin shirt, Mm. which was also a huge inspiration for this film. Like one of the acts is called The Infinite Sadness, which is a reference to Melancholy and The Infinite Sadness. Every single thing is a reference. Like if you like really look at anything long enough, it becomes a reference. 
dense as hell, this movie. Fucking dense. Dense. So yeah, um, the bass player of that song you just heard is Todd, who is our third evil ex. He's also played by a guy who played a superhero. Okay, in which franchise? In DC. Oh, uh, Watchmen? No. And he was the lead of the movie. <gasps> and he had a cape. Superman. It was Superman. He, he played Superman? And Superman Returns. The Kevin Spacey Lex Luthor. We just There's, gagged. It's Brandon Routh, who does a really good job of being dumb. And vegan, yeah. Dumb and vegan. Yes. <laughs> he punches the highlights out of her hair. He's not afraid to hit a girl. He's a rock star. <laughs> He's a real rock star. My favorite line of his is, something fun in Toronto. Oh, what a cunt. Like, what a bitch. Yeah, for sure. And a fun little design uh, Easter egg is that in his backstory, he punched a hole in the moon. And anytime you see the moon in this movie, there's a big hole. The fucking details. The, the detail. nerve and the details. I can get on this tangent later when we go into another performance. But like their attention to detail to the fact of how interesting the instrument choices are for each character is super specific. And when I say instrument choices, I mean like if they're a bassist, which bass do they use? If they're a guitarist, which guitar do they use? If they're a drummer, what kind of drums do they use? It says so, ma so much about each individual musician. And this character, Todd, picks like the most run-of-the-mill like Fender Mustang to play. Mm. Whereas like Scott Pilgrim plays like a Rickenbacker 4001, which is like the white whale of basses. It's so crazy because he has like one shirt and like one pair of shoes, but he has the most sought after bass in like all of fucking rock and roll history. And it like starts to fall apart and you see that he's duct taped yeah. it. And when you see young Neil take his part over in the final scene in the chaos theater, he has like the 2000s version of that bass, like a brand new version of it. But Scott still is like a duct tape version. Like this bass is iconic. Like... Everybody and their mother has played this bass, but it's over the generations of people playing it means something totally different. Like in the 60s, it was like Yes and Rush and Super Tramp, yeah. like progressive rock. And then in the 80s, it was like Sid Vicious, like alternative rock. And then in the 90s, it's like Kim Gordon, Sonic Youth, like punk rock. So it's just such a nice choice. And also when he plays guitar he plays it like it's, it's an electric guitar, right? but it's not even just a regular acoustic guitar. It's a uh, classical acoustic guitar. It's a classical guitar, which are cheaper than acoustic guitars. So, and they mod it to be electric, which kind of just says like how broke all of these people are. <laughs> and like Kim's drum kit has like three pieces on it and like a cymbal and like all the other drummers have like this whole insane thing. So it's just like an insane attention to detail. Wow. That is a fucking reference. I love that. I didn't know anything about music, so that was all very enlightening. Good explanation <laughs> for us newbies who don't touch instruments over here. I wanted this bass for so long. <laughs> <laughs> this leads us into our third fight, like an X-Men battle where vegan powers let you lift and toss and throw. I didn't honestly need the explanation. Yeah. No, like, I love They all that. can do all kinds of stuff, but yeah, this guy's just better because being vegan makes you better than other people. It is the only time in the movie where they question the fantasy of it because mm -hmm. uh, Kim asks, why does being vegan give you psychic powers? <laughs> and I love that his answer is so dumb. He says, 
you know how you only use 10% of your brain, the other parts filled with curds and whey. <laughs> and then she says, that's not right. And he says, well, if you knew the science, I'd take you more seriously or something like that. <laughs> As a math guy. teacher, does that does that check out? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I thought the 10% of your brain thing was a myth, but even that I don't know for sure. <laughs> Oh, so fucking good. It's it. I am. I love the base battle that they incorporate because they, they really didn't need to do that. It's like he's vegan and the vegan police come and that's already plenty enough for the scene. But the the D D D D D D D coming out of the darkness. Yeah, so fucking good. And it's basically like he's so much better at playing bass than Scott. It's crazy. Yeah, you can hear it. Which Michael Sarah actually had to dumb down his playing because apparently he's like incredible at playing bass. The other three members of Sex Babam had to learn to play the instruments mm. and he had to slow himself down <laughs> so that it would be believable that he was just in like this ragtag band. But he was like just as good as them. That's kind of, I mean, that's incredibly impressive to learn a whole ass instrument. And um, he beats Todd by switching out the coffee. Really the satisfying part is the vegan police show up. Chicken isn't vegan. <laughs> Every time I see gelato, all I think is it's milk and eggs, bitch. Milk and eggs, bitch. <laughs> I love that when they take them away, they click their ankles. And they high five as they jump over the thing. It's like, yeah. Got one. <laughs> vegan, please. I guess we get a little bit of closure with Envy. Mm. Not as much as she deserves. I think this movie's like Fight Club for nerds. Yes. Where like a bunch of people miss the point that the guy in Fight Club's a dick. I think a lot of people miss that, like, oh, Scott Pilgrim's not great. Wait, that's not clear? I'm being for real. Do people? I mean, there's a lot of people who watch Breaking Bad and think that, like, Walt is the hero and that Skyler's the villain. It's hilarious how these things can be so apparently obvious to women and people who take, you know, who have a certain amount of media literacy. And then, you know, like Fight Club, 500 Days of Summer, all of these things are critiques you know, and right. some people don't pick up that at all. Why didn't Summer just stay with them? That's that's horrible. I don't like that at all. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's it's very clear he's like the least likable character of all of these. I agree, but it's misleading that he ends up with Ramona in the end, I will say. Well, uh, to, not to jump ahead too much, but the original ending of the movie was not that he ends up with Ramona, but that he ends up with knives and that no. Ramona walks away. But they tested That's it and people, it have been. people didn't like it. I mean, she is 17. He should have been alone because that's what he deserves to be. He needs to work on himself. He should have been with Nega Scott then. Yes. We're going to get waffles. What Aww. does he say? <laughs> They're going to get brunch. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a trade-off there. We can get to it when we talk about the end. But the positive of him going with Ramona is that he's not with a 17-year-old. But the positive of him being with Knives is that Ramona gets to figure out herself in a non-codependent relationship because she's never had the option to before. It's not like something that she's chosen. Gideon put this plant in her head and has created this league to control her. So she kind of has to couple up with someone so that they can defeat the evil exes. And so now she finally has a new lease of life where she can be an individual, which would have been like incredibly more empowering. But like we were just talking about, these things go right over people's heads. Right over people's heads. Well, it's misleading to give them the storybook ending that they want. Because even Scott, when he goes back for the second fight with Gideon, he goes for self-respect. He doesn't go to fight for Ramona or Knives. 
you know? So it kind of, like, goes back on itself to have him follow her through that door, I think. Mm -hmm. That's my one critique of the film. And good to know that the source material doesn't have that. Like, I, I do like Knives, and I think Knives and him have more chemistry than he and Ramona. I mean, also, Scott... I mean, I guess we'll talk about it when we get to the ending. Yeah. I don't want to jump too far ahead because <laughs> we are at fight number four because right after fight three at the after party, we are reacquainted with Roxy. So this is the big nightclub fight. And this is a fun one because it has two stages because first we get our glimpse into what if Ramona was fighting and she gets to use a giant hammer. Yeah. All of her sound. Here's our next trivia question. Her sound effects all come from the same video game. What video game is it? Okay, so there's a lot of sounds from Smash Bros. And I think the KO is from like Street Fighter. So my guess is Street Fighter. I'm putting my bet on Street Fighter. No. <gasps> but this character is in Smash Brothers. Is it Ness? No, that'd be a deep cut. Fuck. That would make sense though, because he uses a bat. The bat, yeah. It's a good guess. Lizzie, you know video games? Unless you're a faker. Mario. <laughs> that is a character. It's Dr. Mario. Jigglypuff. What if I told you it? he used to be the biggest character after Mario? Luigi. No, Luigi was never big. <laughs> Just tell her. <laughs> uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh. Yeah. That seems, I actually played Sonic the Hedgehog like once or twice in my fourth grade friend Chrissy Lorette's house. Oh, shout out Chrissy Lorette's. I love this scene because... Scott finally gets fucking hit in the head physically because <laughs> <laughs> he says evil ex-boyfriend and then <laughs> Ramona says evil exes and he goes, why do you keep saying that? And then Roxy comes in and fucking smacks him right in the head. And yeah, you see initially that Ramona wants to do the fight for Scott, but it's a league game. It's a league game. You don't want to be relegated. I can't hit a girl. They're soft. And so Bitch, then so are you. <laughs> Ramona uses Scott as a weapon and more of a fun fight choreography. The most chemistry they have the entire film. <laughs> I agree. When she's using him to fight like a little puppet. Yeah. So fucking good. Now, I guess I have to ask. I am not a woman. Y'all two are. How realistic is the movie wherein if you just poke someone in the back of the knee, they will orgasm to death? And explode into coins. We were trying to gatekeep that knowledge. And Edgar Wright was like, this is how you defeat a woman. Just people need to know. The back of her knee. And then she orgasms into dust. Super realistic, I would say. 10 out of 10. Incredibly so. Mm -hmm. That's filmmaking. <laughs> yeah, we get some choice lines where Scott goes, you had a sexy phase? Because <laughs> Ramona says it's just a phase, which is like... Uh, wrong. No, no. And she says, I was just a little bi-curious. And Roxy says, I'm a little bi-furious. <sighs> Let's go. I'm going to put that on a shirt. <laughs> and then as she raises her foot to finish off Scott, <laughs> she has another great line. Your BF is about to be effed in the B. Uh, everything she says. <laughs> come on, Hasbian. Like, <laughs> you're so right. If you're just like, if you're talking about the density of hilarity of lines, mm. every single thing she says is fucking perfect. And it's in slow-mo. And just the weird moaning as the coins fall onto everyone <laughs> around her. It's great. I know you're saying, like, some of these people had to learn how to play instruments. No, nothing is worse than having to orgasm probably 40 times in front of a crew of, like, a bunch of people. I would never want to do that. Never, ever. The first time I ever went to see Rocky Horror, like at a live shadow cast, you're supposed to 
say if you're a virgin, which means you've never been to a shadow cast before. And I lied and said I had, because I kind of had, but I kind of hadn't. Anyway, it didn't feel like a lie, but it definitely was. And I was glad I didn't, because they bring you up to the front. They go around with the microphone, ask everyone their name. They ask everyone, um, like, their gay icon. And then they ask everyone to orgasm to their gay icon and everyone like votes on who had the best orgasm. And if I had done that, I think I would be dead now. And y'all, we'd be doing this in the cemetery. In the afterlife through a seance. So I could not imagine doing that. No, I can't think of anything worse than that. So from a film structure standpoint, this is, of course, the end uh, – I guess the end of our second act where we're at our lowest point. Mm -hmm. Scott and Ramona break up. Scott's depressed. Wallace is there. Wallace kicks him out. Wallace does kick him out because he needs the house for gay sex. As he does. But before he kicks him out, he gives him some choice advice. It's time to break out the L word. Lesbian? Lesbian? (laughs) The other L word. Lesbians? Oh, so fucking good. I'm trying to think. I don't think there's anything too eventful before we get to the next fight. Because at this point, they've reached the finals of the Battle of the Bands, Mm -hmm. which I didn't pick up on it the first few times I watched. But the Battle of the Bands tournament is thrown by Gideon. Mm -hmm. G-Man Graves. So he's basically like orchestrating all these events where the exes know to find Scott. Mm -hmm. And that, for some reason, eluded me. I was like, oh. That's why they know how to find them. (laughs) But yeah, this is my favorite song of the movie is what the Sex Bavon plays against the twins who I apologize. I don't have their names. The Katinagi twins. Katinagi twins. They did a really great job because they're the they're the fifth and the sixth. Fifth and sixth. But they don't go into the backstory. I know. They're the only ones. So did she date them at the same time? I think. Kim might ask, or young Neil, someone asks, like, did they date him at the same time? But narratively, because Ramona's not with Scott, we don't get that backstory. Mm. So, but this is, I think, the first time we see Jason Schwartzman. G-Man Graves. Uh, G-Man Graves. How do y'all feel about Jason Schwartzman? Love him. Love him to death. Love Coconut Records. Yeah. Half of the Coppolas I really enjoy. I feel like he falls in the half that I like. Yeah, next to Nick Cage, he's one of my favorite Coppolas. (laughs) Their family reunions. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I feel like I'm cheated because I like Jason Schwartzman. He's great mentioning Fargo. He's in season four of Fargo. And it's, like, so fun to watch him. But I don't like Wes Anderson movies. Ah, yeah. So, like, most of the stuff he's in... I'm always just like, man. It's a Wilson Brothers thing where you're like, I wish I could watch you in that, but I don't enjoy that even in the slightest. We won't get into that. Yeah, yeah. that's another another episode. So anyway, I I like watching him here because he's not doing the uh, Wes Anderson thing Mm -hmm. of staring down the barrel of the camera in center frame wearing a brown suit while he says something very quick and intellectual. (laughs) Yeah, we see him for like a flash before we even know it's G-Man and then we get Threshold. Mm -hmm. Which is, like you said, your favorite. Great song. We get to see a giant fake monkey, I guess. I don't know what their creature is. It's two dragons from the twins. It's like a gorilla or like like an ape or something. Yeah, Some sort of Sasquatch. Sort of monkey. And the first time I watched this movie, I did not like this scene because I was like, well, this isn't really a fight. Oh, I love this scene. Mm -hmm. It's grown on me a lot. This is one where the shots of it, like, for everyone performing in the scene to convey the intensity of, like, a giant monkey battling two giant dragons with, like, 
fans blowing them around. It's just like, what was those couple of days on set like? Everyone's yeah. just being blown around by wind and being like, all right, the monkey's over there. All right, now hit your cues, you know? <laughs> Feel it even harder this yeah. time, you know? <laughs> Don't blink. <laughs> You're like trying to feel like this wind is blowing in your face. You like can't blink. <laughs> cruel. So cruel. But it's not a very long scene. And then we go outside the venue. Gideon tells them they've won. They get to open up at the Chaos Theater. Gideon says that he'll sign them. Scott doesn't want to, so young Neil steps up. And now Scott has lost it all. He's lost his girl. He's lost his band. I think it's the first noble fucking thing he's done the whole movie is to like stand up for his morals. He's like, I won't sell out. And I think this is where we have the final Wallace scene because um, he's talking to him and then Gideon calls and Wallace listens in on the phone call. Yes. Oh. He's like, go get the bastard. Forget what I said. <laughs> for as much as I love Wallace, it feels like such an unceremonious end. Yeah. It's like, we don't see him after that. Oh, we don't. We don't see him after that. He's got his bed for gay sex. He's busy. Oh, yeah. He is, like, actively fucking someone. So I guess that's fine. He's touching him behind the knees. Hey, you know. Scott, fight. You know, what's he going to do? <laughs> yeah. And we also um, don't see Aubrey Plaza again. We don't see Anna Kendrick again. Yeah. But, yeah, we, we now go to – well, before we get into the cast theater, we have a classic suiting up sequence – Yes. Where he ties his shoes very slowly. Yes. <laughs> he has to give two passwords to get into these separate layers. It's a weird nightclub where you have to go through two passworded doors before you get into the club. And Gideon's on top of a pyramid with Ramona seated like some sort of trophy. Mm. And Edgar Wright said that almost every fight scene, they were just like zooming through. But then they got to this one, and they were just doing, like, 10 shots a day. Damn. Jeez. Because, like, they had to move the pyramid. What? To, like, because everything was happening on this really small platform. So in order to, like, film and stuff, they would have to, like, have the pyramid here so they could put the cameras and stuff. Uh, and he wow. said it looked great, but he regrets <laughs> putting everything on top of a pyramid. You're so right, because the steps, there's, like, maybe 20 steps I, I can see as a audience member to the top i was imagining maybe even just a crane that would come in and around but they get really tight in on them when they are at the top of the pyramid so then yeah that changes things imagining whenever they call like last looks which is what the ad will scream so that hair and makeup could come in and like make everyone perfect <laughs> like imagine <laughs> last looks you're like all right last looks and you're like <laughs> up, like 10 flights of stairs like dab some powder on mary elizabeth Winstead, and then like <laughs> <laughs> back down the stairs my favorite thing about the chaos theater scenes like the fight scenes is like the first time scott enters you hear cuomo say their first album it's much better than the first album cuomo's cuomo knows everyone that's ramona flower that's his little yeah that's a great bit we passed over where he just holds up apparently they had a much <laughs> like nicer this. picture and then they said, Michael, just draw one real quick. And then they just used that one. <laughs> oh, that's funny. The like squiggly hair. Do you know who this is? Do you know this girl? <laughs> Sam made like a die cut of that in like an art class in college and gave me a print of it. They did. It's just, that's all you need to describe someone. It's I hope iconic. I could be like reduced to a squiggle <laughs> that simply. You're just like a stick man. <laughs> 
do you know this girl? <laughs> this is a stick oh, figure. <laughs> Again, not another teen movie where <laughs> the main character is like, I'm painting my mom. <laughs> it's just a stick, stick figure <laughs> with a sun. <laughs> okay, I got us thoroughly off track. Um, So, Scott, this is a complicated thing to explain, but basically Scott says that he's fighting for love and then he gets a sword Announced by Bill Hader. Mm. Um, Scott's earned the power of love. He seemingly defeats Gideon. Mm -hmm. But then who shall emerge? Knives. Knives. We didn't talk about her blue hair, but she has blue hair now. And she looks so good. Uh, yeah, she dyes her hair blue in order to seem a little bit more like Ramona Flowers. She even like wears the same jacket in that one scene and like does the hair thing the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Knives comes in and confronts Ramona. So we get a classic action movie, girl fights girl while guy fights guy. And we kind of get some growth a little bit from Scott in this fight. Because he finally gets trapped having to tell the truth to the two women who are staring him down. <laughs> yeah. And for telling that truth, he gets stabbed in the back with a sword. There you go. He's like, they're fighting each other with swords now. I should probably tell them the truth. He's Oof. avoided it for so long. They're armed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he gets stabbed in the back and he dies. Ooh, dead. He goes to the place where Harry Potter goes. The subspace highway. I'm not familiar <laughs> with this Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry who now? <laughs> I've seen the last of those movies, but none of the others. A lot of it didn't make sense. See, yeah. I saw the first and the last episode of Breaking Bad, so I feel the same way. You didn't miss much. <laughs> it's, it's honestly like, it's okay. Better Call Saul's better. You're the only person I know who hasn't like wanted to delete my number from their phone for saying I haven't seen Breaking Bad. I mean, maybe because I didn't watch it when it was like coming out, but like, I think it's overrated. It's fine. They lean too much on the trope. We'll get right back to Scott Pilgrim. They lean too much on the trope of the episode starts in the future and then it rewinds and then gets back to that point. They do it like every episode. Oh, do it once. That's why I love you, Corey. You just say it like it is. Yeah, take that, Vince Gilligan, you fucker. Hey, he wrote X-Files. You better calm down. Yeah, why isn't he making more? Yeah. Why See? aren't you making more, Vince? Exactly. <laughs> Give us what we want. Give us Mulder and Scully. Scott's daddy's in the desert. I don't really understand what that's supposed to represent. After we see it earlier where purgatory. he's like, there's a It has a to be a reference, though. It's specific, right? It's probably. I didn't go through all of Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright's listed, like, all the inspirations, but, like, there's so many for this damn movie. You just reminded me of a bone I have to pick with Edward, Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright? Edward Cullen. Edward, Edward Cullen. Cullen. <laughs> he's perfect. No flaws. Edgar Wright, on the other hand, has a list of a thousand and one of the best movies uh, or like movies you should see. A thousand and one. On Letterboxd. You can't. Bitch. I, it, no, no. That's just all the movies. You've ever seen ever. Yeah. I, I will defend him a little bit. Only because like in my research for this, when he's working, Edgar Wright will watch a minimum of one movie a day with the goal to watch two to three. And... While it sounds absurd, I started following him on Twitter, I think when he was making Baby Driver, mm. and he would post like what he's watched that day, every day, two to three movies, two to three movies, two to three movies. And at this point- I mean, I could post two to three movies a day. Yeah. No. Have I seen them? Well, he like posted them and then like a pretty lengthy review. So either okay. he's like really putting in the work to fake it, or the dude just, I don't know how he has the time, but- 
That's How does he date like, Anna Kendrick and watch two to three movies well, a day? That's probably, well, they broke up apparently because of the long distance. I did a little bit of research into that. Mm. The Rock works out less than he's watching movies a day. And The Rock is like the fucking rock. Yeah, but all of The Rock's so. movies are bad. <laughs> no, oh, come saying, on. Jungle Cruise is nice. It's not good. <laughs> I'm just imagining Edgar Wright's brain to look like The Rock's body with the amount that he's watching movies every day he's directing. Oiled up. Buff. <laughs> Anywho. Anyway, so Scott Pilgrim's dead. That's the end of the movie. No, that would be satisfying to Lizzie because she hates Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> but he does come back because he got a one-up when they defeated the twins. Mm-hmm. So we see a very quick replay of the scene leading up to it when he ran out and was suited up. He goes past Coma with his second joke about how the comic book is better. (laughs) And we re-see the scene, except this time uh, Scott tells the band nice things. He tells young Neil that he's now Neil. Um, Scott earns the power of self-respect or whatever. And then he's not finding (laughs) Gideon for her. He's finding Gideon for himself. Which I never quite got, but... He needs to have an arc, I guess. We love violence. Hit him again. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he had to leave Toronto, I guess, because at the end of the movie, he does not have a home. There's nothing holding him back. He goes to New Jersey, meets Kat Dennings, and goes right into the Nick and Nora universe. Exactly. Without a hitch. Yes. And we get our complicated pyramid fight. Take two. Um, Take two. This time, Scott wins. As I mentioned, the gum is a nice little Easter egg if you watch. Young yeah, Neil. I guess Neil at that point. Just mm. Neil. Uh, takes the gum and chews it. Uh, yeah. The Which, real quick, Neil is 22. So it's still weird that Neil ends up with knives. I'm just saying. <laughs> anyway, carry well, on. Well, but he used to be not young Neil. So well, I guess we're not certain that they end up together. Because I think he was, she was only dating him to make Scott jealous. Yeah, I don't True. think they, they get together. But... I wish instead of, like, he graduated to Neil, because I know it's like Neil Young, you know? <laughs> You're Neil Young. It's, it's so hard to Google facts about young Neil in this movie, because every time you do it, it's just Neil Young articles. They're like Harvest Moon? Yeah. Yeah, and then Scott has to fight Nega Scott. And you sort of get this setup that it's going to be like this climactic battle. But then we cut to Ramona. I wish we would have gotten more of that scene with Ramona and Knives standing out in the yeah. cold. Uh-huh. I kind of would have liked them to have a couple of lines together before mm-hmm. Scott comes out. No, The Corey, women don't get to no, speak. Because then it would have passed the Bechtel test. And that would be unacceptable. That's true. Corey, we don't want that. No, Edgar I guess Wright's not. directing this. <laughs> He's a hero for women. <laughs> um, so yeah, it turns out he just talks his troubles out with his alter evil self and uh they're gonna have brunch which i guess they're not because he leaves yeah they go separate ways i guess he just canceled (laughs) his brunch plans but wouldn't you think that with nega scott and regular scott getting along so well and being basically the same person that scott is nega scott that he is evil oh i think scott is evil Mm-hmm. Kim says earlier in the movie that he's the scum of the earth. <laughs> Salt of the earth. <laughs> Sorry, I meant scum. Thanks, Kim. <laughs> yeah, I think Scott is so equally good and bad that his nega self is probably like a mirror to himself as well. They seem like the same person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, They get along really well. So just interesting that like he gets along so well with the person that's supposed to be his direct evil inverse. And Ramona's like, peace, I'm going to do some me time. And he's like, how about... 
I just come with you. How about I don't allow that at all? <laughs> to be fair, it's Knives who's like, hey, I don't want to be stuck with you. Maybe <laughs> you should go with her. And she just kind of like pawns him off. She was like, I am too cool for you. And he's like, haha. And she's like, <laughs> dead face. We call that foisting. Foist that skinny indie man. She said, that's for you, Ramona. <laughs> <laughs> And um, yeah, then we get our credits. We hear Bill Hader countdown. And it was all a dream. Young Neil wakes up. <laughs> and he's in Jennifer's body. Yeah. Wait, you said that this tied into Jennifer's body somehow. Because Young Neil yeah. is Johnny oh, Simmons. And plays Young Neil in Jennifer's body as well. Yes. It's the same character. character just yeah, same. moves over and plays. That's why Chip. Chip. That's why we know he's not with knives because... He has to go. He moves towns. Yeah. Yeah. God, young Neil's fucked. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the movie. Did we skip anything y'all wanted to talk about? I think we've quoted the entire movie. I think I've said so many quotes. All right. Well, if I remember right, the next thing I'm supposed to talk about is the box office and how this movie did with other movies. How big of a flop was it? This movie was a flop and a half. I did not expect that because I saw it in theaters like... Maybe three times. Wait, are you joking? No. It was a flop? This movie had an estimated budget of $60 million. Now, it's opening weekend, it made $10.6 million. What? And eventually, the worldwide gross was $49.4 million. So it lost just over $10 million. Whoa. I was just kidding. Mm-mm. I thought it made a million, million, <laughs> trillion dollars. It's because we were on Tumblr in the subsequent years, and everybody on Tumblr loved it. Who were they marketing to? Like, how did it get missed? It's so good. Well, I looked into, well, why did it flop? And there doesn't seem to be one consensus. A lot of people blame the marketing because the trailer kind of makes it look more like a romantic comedy. I think it's partially just a hard movie to market because you have to kind of convey a lot of information. The other thing I found interesting was I looked to see what was coming out the same weekend. Mm, that's always something that does affect it. And this was a rough time because this was the same weekend as The Expendables, mm. which not my cup of tea, but if you're going to go to an action movie that weekend, right, you're going to go to that one because they made all the money and they had all the old people. Eat, Pray, Love came out that weekend. Fuck. Ooh. They're splitting up the demographics. They're splitting oh, it up. no. And still in theaters at that time was Despicable Me, Inception, and The Other Guys. Fuck. So this was just like a big weekend for comedies, action movies, romantic comedies. So it was just like, what do you do? So that seems to be probably why. It's just bad timing. Damn. I bet you it's made its money since then, though, because I feel like it's... It does have a longevity, at least among people who like films. And maybe that's a smaller sect of people than I realize, but... I know that during the pandemic, they all did like a round table, like a read-through. Shit, I was on that live stream so fucking bad. And Brie Larson wasn't there. She was like the only one of the original cast members that wasn't there. Because I was expecting her to do like a Black Sheep performance, and she didn't. But it was a lot of fun to watch. I think it was... I think Allison Brie, actually, or like somebody else. Another took Brie her took place. in. It's probably Allison Brie. They have the same name. Sort of. <laughs> it's probably someone else that took her place, but I just thought, I was like, oh, fuck. Brie Larson would have been great. Yeah. Have you seen her? Um, Brie Larson's audition tape is on YouTube for this character. Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh, you it. have it? Oh, it's really fun. We should watch it. Yeah. Should I play it? Yeah, you should play it. So, that's Ramona. <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay, I'm jealous. <laughs> You're jealous? I'm allowed. You left me for that cocky pretty boy. <laughs> You've never even seen him. Yeah, I know. You left me for a guy I've never even seen. Maybe you'll see him soon. We're playing a show at Lee's Palace you should like. So, totally come. <laughs> That's so not gonna happen. Great. You're so on the list. <laughs> okay, Corey, do you want to explain the scores? It's a complex scoring system we hire out about subtextual. What we do is we build a big machine, and what we're going to do is put them <laughs> scores in there. We score it on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being how gay it is, 1 being it's not that gay. <laughs> and then we also do 1 to 10 for how good it is, with 10 being oh, it's a pretty good movie. And then we average them. And then sometimes we round them, but we don't tell the audience. <laughs> sometimes we just get the numbers wrong. Just because we can't. They're about to be the rootness, tootness, sexual score. <laughs> you know how many times Corey has very politely told us we've gotten the score wrong? <laughs> Multiple. But that's how I know he listens to the episode, which is so sweet. It's the best part of the show. It gets is all the way to the end. The math. We're finally here. <laughs> Representation. Uh, I don't know if we've said it before on this episode, but Corey's a math teacher. I am a math teacher. He's a math. He's a doctor of math. Mm. He fixes math. That's why it's so hard to book me for these things because <laughs> everyone wants a math teacher on their show. He's got a scrub out of math surgery. I come in here. I'm like, I'm sterile. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lizzie, how gay is this movie? Let's see. By Fury. He's in Lesbians with her. I mean, there is an actual bi character. I'll give it a five. Sam, how gay is this movie? Okay, we got Liberace's Ghost. <laughs> it's referenced at least once. Oh, do you guys make the gay rule book? We didn't talk about that line. <laughs> That's, Wallace goes, hey, I didn't make the gay rule book. You have a problem taking it up with Liberace's Ghost. Yes, I do make the gay rule book after Liberace's Ghost, of course. So we've got that. We've got Wallace... We've got... Got gay kissing. Forgot about that. The boys kiss. Oh, the boys kiss. I was like, who kisses who? What? Uh, by Fury. There is technically off-screen gay sex. <gasps> yes. True reference to gay sex. We get, like, minus the point because she says it's just a phase. I am going to give it a six. Corey, how gay is that movie? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Well, um... I would say, for all the reasons y'all listed, um, and I know Sam's criteria is, is there gay sex? That's, <gasps> You're right, there is That's gay what sex. she goes with. I guess we don't know if they were having sex. We know that genitals were out, <laughs> that he needs the house for gay sex. Uh -huh. um, I'm gonna go with a six. Wow. May I revise my score? Yes, you may. I'm gonna give it an eight. Because wow. Scott's in the bed while gay sex is happening. At least presumably because they say as much and we just can't see it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change mine to an eight. Now we're going to find out how good the movie is. Lizzie, how's good that movie? It's a 10. I can watch this movie any day, anytime, anywhere, on a plane, in a train, under the earth, in a birth. <laughs> Sorry, a 10. <laughs> It's Dr. Susie and good. It's Someone turn this microphone off. <laughs> I will agree with Lizzie. It's also a 10 in my book. No pressure, Corey. I mean, if I'm being honest, I should probably give it a 10. It's my third favorite movie in the world. So, yeah, we'll go 10. 
Wow. Okay, before I average the scores myself, I'm going to see how good Corey's math is. You got to use your little. Oh, shoot. So we brain. had 10, 10, 10. We had 8, 6, 5. Right? Yeah. So that's <laughs> already impressed. And 30 is 49 divided by. You're divided by 6, I assume, right? Uh-huh. 8.111 or 8.222, something like that. Corey, you are exactly right. <gasps> it's an 8.1, something, something, something. You did it. Wow. Wow. I did the math. The listeners are going to be so impressed. I'm impressed. I did the maths. Wow, you have an actual skill that like is useful in the real world. Well, let's let's not be too generous. I have a skill. (laughs) It breaks into our top ten. No way. What place? Oh my god. It's tied for number eight with Bend It Like Beckham, also with an eight point one. Oh man. Corey, thanks for coming and doing this. This film is a fucking doozy. So much happens. What a winner, you know. We couldn't thank you enough. And you led this one that's like historical. Ah, you guys, I barely did anything. You did a fantastic job. Ah, we're going to have you on know, again. Listener, he barely referenced notes or anything. This was all off the dome. This man's got a brain of gold, of titanium. Oh, no. Well, next time I want to do a terrible film. Ooh, we love those here. And then I'm just going to ask you, like, okay, Corey, 10 times 3 plus 16 divided by 2 over. So far you have 23. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Crazy. Just going to be me asking Corey (laughs) questions (laughs) for an hour. Which is basically just you, like, playing on your computer, you know? Exactly. Just, like, plugging numbers into a calculator being like, She tries to get 8008 as the outcome because it spells boob. Yes. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to keep this content ad-free, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. See you next week.